you have your Bibles, turn with me to the book of Matthew chapter 6. Matthew chapter 6, go ahead and hold your spot there. And uh, we are continuing in the series uh, that we've called Pray Like Jesus Says, and it's a look at the Lord's Prayer. Uh, it, it, it's funny because a couple of weeks ago I mentioned that my tendency when, I, when I'm saying the Lord's Prayer is to say the Lord's Supper. So uh, today I got both of them. So it's hard to go wrong when you're doing the Lord's Supper at the same time you're preaching on the Lord's Prayer. Uh, no matter what you say, it's probably, probably going to fit. But we started this series just a few weeks ago. Two places in the Bible where the Lord's Prayer is laid out for us. One is in Matthew 6. That's the, that's the passage we're using in the series the other is in Luke chapter 11, but Matthew chapter 6 kind of gives us the full picture of the Lord's Prayer. In, in Luke 11, Luke's version, it's not contradictory at all, it's just that he uses more excerpts, I guess you could say. Matthew 11 is, or Matthew 6 is what you're accustomed to, kind of as the Lord's Prayer that maybe you are familiar with or that you've memorized to some degree. So that's what we're walking through, and what we're seeing here is this model prayer that Jesus gives us. It's not a mantra, right? It's not something that we quote and recite and our heart is disengaged and we think that somehow it's going to make us closer to God. This is something that God wants us to use as a model. And in less than 70 words, Jesus gives us really these tracks to pray on, right? Kind of these tracks for us to guide us as we pray. It doesn't mean we're always going to pray every single component that's in this Lord's Prayer, but it should be the track that lays out the basics of our prayer life because the elements that Jesus includes in this in Matthew 6 are, are, are going to help us immensely as we engage with God in prayer. And let's be honest, every one of us needs a model, right? All of us need some kind of a model to help us in our prayer lives, at least for me. Because there are times when my prayer life, obviously, it just sort of falls short. I mean, I'm human. I don't get a free pass just because I, you know, I, I pastor a church. Prayer sometimes for me seems to fall short. It's not because of God. It's because of me. Have you ever prayed and found your mind wandering, for example, that where you started was really holy, where you ended had something to do with a sale at the mall and the Braves game, right? And somewhere in there, you just kind of wandered along the way. I don't know if that's you, but for me, that can be a real tendency. I read a story recently about two guys that were talking, and uh, one guy told the other, he said, you know what? He said, for me, it's just really hard for me to pray without my mind wandering. And the guy he was talking with said, well, that never happens to me. I'm always focused. My mind never wanders when I pray. And he said, is that right? He said, yep, absolutely. That's the truth. He said, well, I'll tell you what. I will give you, I don't believe you, so I'm going to give you 100 acres of land if you can pray for 60 seconds without your mind wandering. The guy said, that's a deal. This is good as done. And so he started praying, and he's, he's praying. He starts off great. About 15 seconds in, he opens his eyes, and he looks at the guy, and he says, so is that land on the water? Uh, you know, so, so for all of us, we kind of relate to that, right? Our minds just wander. We, we need a model. The Lord's Prayer helps us with that. Sometimes when we pray, our, our, our lips say one thing, but our heart is so disengaged, we don't really mean it, right? We're not even thinking about <clears throat> specifically what it is that we're saying. I could use a little water right now. <clears throat> That'd be helpful that juice wasn't enough apparently. <clears throat> and so whenever we pray sometimes, we find that our, our heart just disengages. Tell me, tell me if you've ever done this. Or actually, don't tell me. I don't think I want to know this. Maybe you take some medication for a routine or you take a, 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 a vitamin daily, right? And you reach up into the cabinet, maybe you've done this, and you take that vitamin that you take every single day or that medication you take every single day and you take it and you take some water. Perfect timing. Thank you, Adam. Awesome. And you take some water, kind of like, let me demonstrate how you take it. Ah, thank you. 
that was wonderful. And, uh, and you take that medication, you take that vitamin, and you wash it back like I've just so well demonstrated. And then later you think, like in about five minutes, did I take the right thing? Has that ever happened to you? Like, did I just take a vitamin or was that my child's medicine or was that my wife's medicine or my husband's medicine, right? And it's because you went through the routine and your heart was not really engaged or you're riding down a road like Abercorn. It's got all these red lights. And about the third one through, you're thinking to yourself, did I go through a red light? You know, did I just, was that light red when I kept driving through here at 50 miles an hour? You know, you're doing the routine, but your heart is not engaged. And sadly, that happens at times when we pray. You know what? If that's a struggle for you, the Lord's Prayer can be really, really helpful. Or sometimes we find ourselves praying for the things that really don't matter, kind of the minors, and we leave out the things that do matter, the majors. And we're praying, you know, God, give me a, give me a smooth day today. God, give me a parking place that's up close. Lord, let my hair do right. And we're never praying for, God, would you just work in my neighbor's life who doesn't know Jesus? And would you just bring him into a relationship with you? Or we're not praying, God, would you... Help my marriage to be stronger and more glorifying to you? Or Lord, would you work in this situation, this circumstance, to bring about change to where your kingdom can be seen and where my kingdom doesn't reign first? We don't pray for the majors, we pray for the minors. The Lord's Prayer can be really, really helpful for that. It gives us these tracks to run on to some degree. And what happens is we find, again, not mechanically, but it's this prayer. I mean, it's, it's phenomenal how Jesus gave us this model that this prayer helps to engage us, helps us to stay focused, and helps our prayer life to ultimately be vibrant. And so let's go ahead and jump in, and let's see what Jesus said as the model for us to pray. Matthew chapter 6, let's read it together, beginning in verse 9. It's just a few short verses, five verses all total. We're going to read down through verse 13. So Jesus begins, and he says in verse 9, pray then in this way, our Father, who is in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. Forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And do not lead us into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. So what have we learned so far up to this point? We've learned that the, the Lord's Prayer is about relationship. It's not about ritual. It's about relationship, not about ritual. First two words in the prayer, our Father. Jesus reminds us when we pray, we come to a God who's not just out there. We don't come to God as a philosophy. We don't come to God as a theory. We don't come to God as a, you know, just, just some uh, God who's distant, far away, and, and uh, removed from us. We come to him, if we have a relationship with Jesus, as our Father. We come to him relationally. And not just my father, Jesus doesn't say uh, come to him as my father, certainly fine to do that, but he reminds us that as Christians we're all in this together, we share a common faith with people all around the world, people who have come long before us, people who will come after us if they have a relationship with Jesus. And so it's not about ritual, it's not about just jumping through these hoops when we pray this prayer, it is literally about relationship, it's not mechanics, it's about engaging with God. And we've also learned not just our Father, but He's our Father who is in heaven, that He's transcended. He's above and beyond. I mean, He doesn't need us. He's independent of us, but He's also imminent. He's right here and He's near. 
And, and when we come to him, that he, we have no business in his presence. Man, I'm telling you, he is that holy. He is that so unlike us, and yet he invites us to come and to bring our needs and to bring our struggles and to bring our worries and to bring our sins, and he invites us into his presence, and he says, I'm going to hear you when you pray. And if you pray according to my will, I'm going to give you whatever it is that you ask for. I mean, what better invitation can we have than that? And so Jesus then moves into the next phrase that we're going to focus on today with just four words where he says, hallowed be your name. Hallowed be your name. Two key words there, the word name, what is that referencing, and the word hallowed, what on earth does that, does that mean? So a name, let's start there. A name is an identifier, right? I, I can pinpoint every single person in this room right now. I could pinpoint you, and I could set you apart from everybody else in this room simply by your name. Why is that? Because your name is an identifier. You may say, Brooks, this is my first Sunday. I caught you because I haven't met you yet. You don't even know my name. If you were to say that, then you are affirming exactly what I just stated, that a name is an identifier. Brooks, you don't know me. Why? Because you don't know my name. A name is an identifier. You probably got three of them. Maybe you've got four. Who knows? Some of you might have five names. I don't know. I went to high school with a kid. He had four names. I thought it was just the coolest thing in the world. His first name started with T. His second name started with A. His third name started with B. He went by the name Tab. That was his name, right? It's kind of his nickname. Names are identifiers, but at the same time, names are also revealers. They kind of reveal something about ourselves. A little less today than they did back in the day, right? Back in the scriptural days. But names reveal something. Maybe for you, you share a name with a family member. Maybe you're a junior and your dad is senior, right? It reveals something in and of itself right there. Maybe you've got a nickname that was given to you before you were even old enough to know you had a nickname, right? And that nickname was given to you, and it kind of reveals something about you. That's the way names operate. They identify us. They reveal something about us. In 2019, I did a message series on the names of God, and we went through for probably two months different names by which God has revealed himself in Scripture. Now, he's one God. That's what he tells us in Deuteronomy all through Scripture. Jesus affirmed it. He's one God. He's revealed himself as Father, Son, Holy Spirit, but he gives us different names, right? Just like you've got three names, maybe four names, well, God reveals himself by different names in Scripture as well. And we unpack that series, some of the different names of God. For example, one name is the name Yahweh, the most common name in the Old Testament, used over 6,000 times, the most personal name for God that we read of in the entire Old Testament. It reveals something about God, that he's a God who's personal. The name Jehovah Jireh, a Hebrew name, it reveals something about God. It reveals that he is our provider, that he is a God who meets our needs. That's what the name means. It reveals that about him. The name Adonai in the New Testament, it means Lord. It reveals something about him. Names are revealers. Names are identifiers. And whenever we come to the Lord's Prayer and Jesus prays, for God's name to be hallowed, what he's praying is for God's nature to be known, for God's character to be known, and for God's personality to be known. When Jesus uses the word name, it's kind of like shorthand for God. My mom knew shorthand back in the day. I would find little notes and... Uh, <clears throat> She would, uh, like, laying around the house, and um, she was a paralegal, and I'd find these little notes, and they were shorthand. It just looked like some cave scribblings or something. You ever seen shorthand? I don't know. You don't see it a whole lot anymore. 
It was shorthand. It was just a little tiny symbol that said a whole lot. And when Jesus is saying that our prayer is for the Father's name to be hallowed, he's talking about, I believe, yes, the use of his literal name, but he's also talking about something much bigger. It's that his nature, that who he is, that his character be hallowed. Look at some of these passages in Scripture that help us to see this. Look over to the book of Psalms, chapter 9. Uh, let's take a look at Psalm chapter 9, and we're going to see how this word name is used and how it's more than just a way to identify someone, that, that it's really revealing who they are. Psalm chapter 9, look down in verse 9 and verse 10. It says in Psalm 9, verse 9, the Lord also will be a stronghold for the oppressed. A stronghold in times of trouble, verse 10. And those who know your name will put their trust in you, for you, O Lord, have not forsaken those who seek you. And those who know your name, that's not referencing just a mere, oh, I know the name of God. It's those who know him in his character, know him in his personality, who know him in relationship. They know him in his nature. And for those who know him that way will know him. That name represents his protection. It represents his strength. Look over to Psalm chapter 20 a little bit further. Look at how it says it in Psalm chapter 20. Look down in verse 6 and verse 7. David writes here, he says, Now I know that the Lord saves his anointed. He will answer him from his holy heaven with the saving strength of his right hand. Some boast in chariots, some in horses, but we will boast in the name, he says, of the Lord our God. What David is speaking of there is not just boasting that we know God's name, we know God's name. I'm boasting that I know God's name. It's not that. It is that we know his character, we know his nature, we know his personality, we know him in relationship. The name just represents all of that. Jesus would pray all the way over in John chapter 17, uh, what we call the high priestly prayer. Look at what he says here in John chapter 17, verse 5 and verse 6. This, this is Jesus helping us to understand a little better what that word name symbolizes. John chapter 17, Jesus prays to the Father. He says, Now, Father, glorify me together with yourself, with the glory which I had with you before the world was. Listen to what he says. I have manifested your name to the men whom you gave me out of the world. He says, I have manifested your name. They were yours. You gave them to me. They have kept your word. I have manifested your name. It doesn't mean that Jesus just sat around, did a little Bible study, and said, let me teach you the different names of God. It wasn't that. He says, I have reflected to them who you are, Father. I have manifested that perfectly. I have demonstrated your nature, and I have demonstrated your character, and I have demonstrated your personality. I have revealed all that. And when Jesus says that he has ultimately manifested God's name, he's saying, I showed them you. Right? The name was just shorthand representative of who God is. And so you go back to the Lord's Prayer, Jesus says, when you pray, pray like this, our Father who is in heaven, hallowed be your name. I mean, it makes perfect sense. Hallowed means holy. It means to be set apart as holy. 
when you think about the flow of the Lord's Prayer, this is something I never realized before until I started studying this for this message. The Lord's Prayer just flows so beautifully, one thing into the other. He starts with praying to our Father. If our Father is in heaven and if He truly is transcendent above and beyond with all power, might, and glory, and if He, he is also here and He is also near, He's imminent. If that's all true, then it makes perfect sense, right? That the next thing we're going to pray is that, God, Your name, that You be treated as holy everywhere that your name is named, that you be treated for who you are. He says, pray that hallowed, holy would be God's name, that it be set apart, that he be set apart and recognized. There's a theologian, seminary president, pastor, yada yada, whole nine yards, named Al Moeller. Some of you are familiar with his name. Uh, huge Christian leader uh, in our culture today. Listen what he says in speaking about this. He says, this phrase, hallowed be your name, is actually an appeal Jesus is not merely saying that God's name is hallowed. Rather, he is asking God to make his name hallowed, to make it holy. Jesus is asking God, listen to this, to so move and act in the world that people value his glory, esteem his holiness, and treasure his character above all else. Hallowed be your name. You know, there's a principle there, and I hope you'll jot this down, because it'll really be helpful for us if we can get this up front. There's a principle here when we think about the Lord's Prayer, and the principle is this, that the Lord's Prayer really rightly begins by focusing on God and not focusing on us. That's where it starts. That's where it begins. And I tell you, I've been guilty (laughs) at times of rushing into God's presence with my requests before I pause to just acknowledge who He is to begin with. You know, I come in with my requests and what I want, and I never really pause to just acknowledge to God that I understand who He is. I, I, I read a story years ago that just so resonated with me because I have done the exact same thing. And it was about a pastor who was talking about an event that he had planned at their church. And it was this event, I think if I remember correctly, it was like an outdoor event. And he had prayed, you know, God, please don't let it rain. Please let there be a great turnout. Let there be lots of people. And please let, you know, the, the, the food turn out okay and this and that. He's praying for all these things. And he said, it's almost like God checked him for a moment and, and, and spoke to his heart and said, you know what? You've asked me to uh, keep the rain away and to bring the people in and to make the hot dogs turn out well and for all these other things to go great. But not once have you asked me to actually show up. And man, oh man, if I had a dollar for every time that I have done the exact same thing where I haven't taken the time, I've been asking my litany of stuff, which is perfectly fine, right? God tells us, his word tells us to bring our requests to God. Philippians chapter 4, bring our requests. Yes, he wants to hear those things. You are his child if you know Jesus. He wants you to bring your heart to him. But He wants us also to acknowledge who He is, that He is God, that we are not, that He is above and beyond, and yet we have the privilege of coming to Him in relationship. And so Jesus says that as we pray, we pray that His name be made holy. We pray that His name be recognized for what it is. Again, not just His physical name. His name represents Him. And that we have the privilege of being able to do that. So how do we 
how do we make God's name holy then? How, how, do we, how do we accomplish this? So if we go away and say, all right, Brooke, so, all right, so I get it. I've always just sort of ripped through that part of the prayer, hallowed be your name. Didn't even really know what hallowed meant. It's kind of this archaic term. But I, I prayed anyway because I got the Lord's Prayer memorized. So now I understand a little better. Jesus is telling us to pray for God's name to be made holy, for it to be reverence, for, for him to be displayed through our lives. How do I do that? So if I go away, all right, I agree with all this. So how, how do I do this? Let me just give you three things. There, there are plenty more, but I don't have time for this. But let me just give you three this morning. How do we make God's name holy? One way that we make his name holy is ultimately, literally, by the way that we treat his physical name, <laughs> that we treat it with respect. You know, his name's not a curse word. His name is not an exclamation point to an exclamatory statement that we want to make. His name is not the punchline of a joke. The way we treat his name, literally his name, is to be treated with the reverence that it deserves. Now, it doesn't mean that it's this reverence where he's untouchable and unapproachable. It's not that. It's not like certain Jews have done where they won't even write out the name of God completely. It's not that. He's a God who's personal. He wants us to abide in his presence, enjoy his presence. It's not that. But we have to be mindful of who we are dealing with here, that this is the God of the universe who is infinite in his holiness, and we just need to treat his name with respect. How do you feel when somebody messes up your name? You ever had your name messed up, right? Somebody's spoken your name wrongly, or maybe they, they wrote it incorrectly. Whenever I was in college, um, my, uh, my first name, as our children's pastor Jeremy has shared with the whole entire county, my first name is Angelo, right? And uh, I used to hate my first name. I just could not stand it. By the way, a little side story. Years ago, I went to see my granddad's gravesite burial place uh, way out in the country somewhere. And um, <clears throat> I had not been there since I was a kid. He passed away when I was in fifth grade. And I went up there with my dad. This was years ago. And uh, so my first name is Angelo, middle name Brooks, last name Kale. And um, and so I went to the cemetery, and I stumbled upon this grave. It didn't have a marker. It was the horizontal, like the slab, you know, the six-foot-long marble slab. And it had inscribed there, Angelo B. Kale. Now, if my name was Bob Smith, that's one thing. But when I see my name written there on a grave for crying out loud, it's like, okay, I think it's time to go back home now. You know, so it's like, just beat it on, beat it on out of there. there. There's just something about seeing your name. When your name is, is, is mispronounced or, or done incorrectly, it just does a little something to you, right? You feel this compulsion to make it right. You feel this compulsion to say, no, actually, I pronounce it this way. No, actually, it's spelled this way. Why? Because you're, there's significant to your name. And I think one of the ways that we treat God's name as holy, that we hallow his name, that we set it apart as holy, is by the way we treat it, in the way we speak. Again, it's, it's not a, an exclamation. It's not a curse word. And also, even one of the Ten Commandments, the third commandment says to not take his name in vain. What does that mean? It means a lot of that. But I think even beyond that, it means not to ascribe to God things that should not be ascribed to him. Right? We have to be careful that we don't put on God what doesn't belong on God. Here's what I mean. Let's just say uh, it, it's the guy at work who says, you know what, I've been married 20 years. My marriage is kind of drying up. She's not who she used to be, and I'm not who I used to be. And we're just kind of going different parts. We're just sort of roommates under the same roof. And, and uh, we both know Jesus. And, uh, you know, there's this secretary at work. She loves the Lord, plays praise music all the time, has her Bible open on her desk. She just connects with me. I don't know. We pray together at work, together. 
and we even go out to dinner together. We pray together. And you know what? I think God just, I think he wants me to be happy. And so God told me. God told me, I, I, I'm going to step out of this marriage and I'm going to start something new because this woman is my soulmate. Don't put that on God. God didn't say that. That's taking his name in vain. You ever had somebody put something on you say, well, isn't this what you said? You're like, oh, I didn't say that. I didn't tell you to go do that. Don't put that on me. I think there are times when we ascribe to God certain things. God's saying that didn't come from me. We got to be careful. We can't run out and say, you know, I have to be careful of this as a pastor and, and, and be mindful of so I can say, you know what, I feel like this is what God wants me to do. This is what I feel like God wants us as a church to do. But I've tried to be mindful. I won't say I've been perfect at it over all these years, but I've tried to be really mindful not to say God told me unless he already told me in here right? Because there's some margin for error there. And if we're not careful, we can say, you know what? God gave me this vision. God gave me this dream. God gave me this special word. God gave me this special revelation. And God may be saying, I didn't give you that. (laughs) So we treat his name as holy. We treat his name reverently by the way we literally treat his physical name. What's the second way we hallow his name? What's the second way that we treat his name as holy? By giving him glory in our life. I mean, you, you're filled with blessings. You, you, you probably live in a place that is loaded with blessings. You could cook your food where you live probably in like two minutes if you wanted to because you've got this thing in your kitchen that enables you to do that. You probably rolled here some way today right, in a car that you own or that you lease or some type of transportation. I mean, you have privileges and you have things that come in your life, blessings that God has given you. Maybe we've never really thought just to give him glory for that. God, thank you for this. Thank you for this vehicle. Thank you for the place where I live. Thank you for the air conditioning. Thank you for my friendships. Thank you for my salvation. Thank you for my family. Thank you for the job. Thank you for whatever income that that you give me. Thank you for the blessings that you give me in my life. Sometimes when we just give him glory, that hallows his name, that makes his name whole. And oftentimes what we find is if we're just willing to do that in a public way, it kickstarts conversations about who he is with other people who want to know him as well. So the way you make his name holy is not just the way you treat his name, but also by giving him glory. Look at what it says in Colossians, this passage of scripture in the book of Colossians. Paul is writing in chapter 3, verse 17. He says, whatever you do in word or deed... Do all in the name of the Lord Jesus. Whatever you do in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks through him to God the Father. Do everything in the name. That's not just a mechanical in Jesus' name, in Jesus' name, in Jesus' name. It's not just the mechanical. It's not that at all. It's that I'm doing this representative of my relationship with my Savior, Jesus Christ. That I'm doing this. The way I work at work, you say, with integrity, ethically, treating people with respect. The way I do that, I do it in Jesus' name. I do it representative of him. The way you take classes at school and you don't cheat like other people do. You do it with integrity. You'd rather take a lesser grade than to cheat, do it the wrong way, and get a better grade. Why? Because you're representative of a Savior in that school. The way you carry yourself, what you do between the Sundays, Monday through Saturday night, is representative of him. It sets his name out as holy. And a third way that we hallow his name is by just living in a way that accurately reflects him. Man, there have been times in my life 
when I've popped off or I've said something or I've done something, obviously there have been times in my life, yours as well, where it's like, you know what, that just didn't represent my Lord the way it should. Living in a way that represents Him <clears throat> accurately. In, in, a, in essence, really, our lived out life, the way we live outwardly, should not conflict with our spoken out testimony. They, they should mesh together. They should fit together. And you may not be vocal about your faith. I hope you are in a, in a right way. But you may be one who you feel like, you know what, my faith is kind of personal. It's kind of private. I, I hope you'll think, think that through and make it a little more shareable, right, because people need your Savior. But even if you say my faith is more private, listen, people know <laughs> People know whether you bear the name of Jesus or not. And, and the way you carry yourself on a Sunday, and the way I carry myself on Sunday, has to be consistent all through the rest of the week. And if it's not, what happens is we, we're not hallowing, we're not making his name holy. Why? Because we bear the name of Christ as followers of Jesus. You know, Paul makes that so clear in the book of 1 Corinthians as we celebrate the Lord's Supper. He says this celebration of the Lord's Supper is amongst you as believers, but this celebration is to remind you whose you are and it's to remind you who you represent, that you're not living for yourself. You live to put them on display. There's a missional component to this Lord's Prayer, right, that we are to live in a way that doesn't contradict. What we don't want is for someone to say, man, I thought you went to church. Man, I thought you... I thought you Worship God, but I hear how you talk to people at work or I see what you do on Friday nights or I know how you handle yourself when you're off on a business trip. And man, I, I tell you, man, that's contradictory. Which person are you? We don't want that. Jesus says when you pray, pray this way. Our Father in relationship who is in heaven, you're above and beyond, but you've drawn near, hallowed, holy, be your name. How does God make his name holy? He makes it na his name holy through his word. He makes his name holy through his works. But man, one of the primary ways today that he makes his name holy is through the people that claim to know him. And that's you and me. Second Corinthians chapter 5, and we're done. Second Corinthians chapter 5, verse 20, Paul is writing to the same church, Corinth, separate letter, same church. <clears throat> and he says, therefore we are ambassadors for Christ. Paul didn't say, I am an ambassador for Christ. He was. You can say, wait, Brooks, I mean, come on, you, you're a pastor. You, you work at a church, and this, this is kind of your job, right? You're representative of Jesus in the community. You're representative of Christ. Yeah, that, that's a part of it. But you know what? That's not just me. It's every other person who occupies a seat in this room or online who also bears the name of Jesus. Paul says, not I. He says, we. We are ambassadors for Christ. What does an ambassador do? An ambassador represents the interests of the one who sent them. If our nation has an ambassador in another country, then that ambassador represents the interests of the United States of America within that country's borders. We, as followers of Jesus, are ambassadors of Christ. We don't live in a world that honors Him nor ultimately worships Him collectively. We live in a fallen world. 
And in the midst of this fallen, dark world, God says, I'm going to send ambassadors who are representative of my kingdom, who are representative of my nature, of my character, of my personality, who are going to bear my name. They represent me. Paul says we are ambassadors for Christ, and he could not be more clear. He says, as though God were making an appeal through us. I mean, where is mouthpiece to a fallen world? He says, we beg you on behalf of Christ, he says to this church, be reconciled to God. Walk in his ways. Step up to the plate. Live a life that puts him on display. Hallow his name. And in those four little words, in the midst of the beginning of this Lord's Prayer, Jesus reminds us that it all starts with God and not us. Prayer is about Him far, far more than it's about us. But at the same time, we have the privilege of living on mission in a way that puts Him on display accurately, correctly, to a world that doesn't know it. You know what? If you bear the name of Jesus today, that's a high call. I, I can't do this in my own strength. The good news is, is that God sent himself and the person of the Holy Spirit to take residence in my life to help me to do that. And for you, he's did the same thing. You can't step up to the plate and represent him accurately unless you're surrendering your life to the control of the Holy Spirit every day. You willing to do that? You willing to put his glory as more important than yours? Are you willing to make his name more important than your own? And if you don't know him today, man, no better time than now to just choose to lay down not just your sin but your life and to say, Jesus, would you forgive me and would you take over? And you know what? I promise you, he will. Let's pray. Lord, there's a lot packed into this prayer. Thank you, God, for being our Father through Jesus. Thank you for being just the God we need. Thank you that when we pray, we don't pray to some ideal. We don't pray to a philosophy. We don't pray to a false deity who doesn't exist. We pray to you, the one true living God who knows us better than we know ourselves, who loves us, who's put that love on display publicly through Jesus who died and rose for us. And God, thank you that you give us the privilege of being image bearers of you, that you created us in your image, and then you call us. You even go so far as to send us into a fallen world with a commission to live in a way that makes your name holy, that reflects the holiness that your name already carries. And Lord, we're going to fall short of that. You know that. We know that. It's not an excuse. It's reality. God, there may even be some here today that have said to themselves, Lord, as you've convicted them this morning, that you know what? I've not done a very good job of making God's name holy in my life, but today I'm ready to start again. And Lord, thank you that when we confess our sins, that you're faithful and you're just to forgive us and to cleanse us and to wash your grace over us and to clean us up and to put us back on the road again with another chance. Thank you that that's the way you deal with us. But God, we want to make your name great in this world. Help us to do that in the way we treat your literal name, in the way we speak of you, in the way we give glory to you, and in the way we live our lives, representing you in this fallen world. 
And God, for those here today or listening online who've never given their lives to Jesus, the most important decision they'll ever make is to give their lives to Christ. More important than where they'll live or what job they'll take or who they'll marry is which Lord they will serve. And God, may it be you, the only one who matters, God. May it be you, the only one who exists. And may they be quick to lay down their sin today and invite Christ to forgive them and to take over their lives. And so God, thank you for this, thank you for this simple prayer, <laughs> the tracks that it gives us, because our minds wander, and sometimes we get out of we get out of sync with our priorities. And Lord, thank you that this prayer keeps us on track. Help us to not just pray it, but to live it. For it's in Jesus' name we pray.